0: Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. It's good to see you here today. We're starting a brand new series and uh, the series is gonna take us nine weeks through summer and it's called Words to Live By. And last week, uh, we had a number of our young adults who went on a trip together to Hawaii, kind of a dream vacation and uh, Tyler and Sarah Ells were on the trip, and they asked me to take them to the airport. So I was like, take you to the airport so you can go to Hawaii, sure, that's good. Um, so I think of the airport, and they're like completely decked out like they're going to Hawaii, like pineapple shirts and flowers and all sorts of things. Um, get to the airports in the morning and I drop them off. And as I drop them off, I'm trying to leave like, the drop off. You know, there's the departures and you park and there's like crazy cars coming by and there's this car right in front of me um, with this family that's saying goodbye. And we've all seen this scene before. It's the airport goodbye, right? And it's, uh, people are embracing, they're hugging. Um, and, and the family that was in front of me, like I was watching this and I was like, okay, let's go, get on with it, ready to go. And it's not like I had anywhere to go, but I'm like, you know, if you're gonna like, have a big sobbing embrace as you say goodbye, just park and walk in, right? And, I've got, I need to get back on the road. And, and I was thinking about, like, we've all seen that airport scene, that, that embrace and goodbye. And it's a special moment. It's kind of a sacred moment when someone's saying goodbye. But if we're not involved in the story, it's just something that's very familiar to us, and it doesn't really move us. Some people who are very, like, sensitive would probably stop and say, that's really sweet. Um, some, I, I, like, hurry plagues my life. So I'm just like, let's get on with it. But I was thinking about that as I was leaving, like, why was I, like, almost, like, upset that this family was having this loving embrace? Like, what is it inside of me that's, like, I just don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. I just want to get on my way and go. And I was thinking about, like, I wonder what their story was. If their story was, you know, maybe maybe this was a husband leaving for a business trip, and his family wasn't going to see him for a while. Or maybe this was, like, uh, a family member that lives out of state that had come into the state for uh, for a special occasion. Maybe it was a joyous occasion, like a wedding. Maybe it was a sad occasion, like a funeral, and maybe they were in town. Uh, maybe they wouldn't see this family member again for quite some time. Maybe it would be like a year. And uh, you're reminded that there's a story that, that leads up to that moment, the airplane departure, the airport departure. And I think uh, it, it's interesting to when you think about how, like, if, if I actually knew the story of this family that was leaving, that was slowing me down, I might have been more empathetic towards the situation. If I knew the backstory, the context, the details of the trip, I might have stopped and paused and, and taken it in. Um, and, and I tell that story because as we approach this series called Words to Live By, what we're doing is we're going to look at a bunch of passages in scripture that are very popular, but also very familiar to us. In fact, we're going to look at nine of the most popular passages, passages in scripture, verses that we've heard over and over again, and when we hear them again and again, there's a tendency that the familiarity of it seems to kind of water it down. Like we, we, we come to almost like this, this airport departure moment, where if we, we don't necessarily know the background, the context we can speed through it. We can, we can uh, kind of just, it becomes routine to us. But when we stop and we pause and we actually know the story that's led to this moment, it starts to add color to this picture that's black and white. It takes this two-dimensional story and makes it three-dimensional. It adds life to it. And so we want to look at a bunch of passages that maybe like we've just come to and they're really powerful passages that we've become familiar with. And kind of like the foundation for this whole series is this passage in Scripture uh, that's based out of 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy opens uh, with this. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul. And it says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. All scripture is inspired by God, used for formation to equip us for every good work. We talk about this scripture that we have, the Bible, uh, and we believe that God inspires it. And my prayer for this series is that we would be inspired by God as we read it. And the first thing that we need to think about when we, we come to any passage in Scripture is that there's a backstory, There's a context. Uh, there's something more going on here than what's at the surface. So kind of the first ground rule of this series is that Scripture is real people who experience real emotions, real beliefs, real doubts, real cultural context at a real specific time in history. There's color that's added because of this backstory. These are people who are interacting with God's work in this world. And when we start to understand that, the scripture becomes alive. It's a story about people and their response to what God's doing in the world. And the second thing is that reading scripture is formational for our life. And I don't know how often we think about that. Like, why do we come to scripture? Why do we open it up? It's because it forms us to be a certain kind of people. The Second Timothy passage talks about how uh, it equips us for every good work. And so when we talk about the way of Jesus, trying to follow Jesus, we want to become more like Jesus in everything that we do. And God is forming us to be a certain kind of person in this world. Uh, Following the way of Jesus, you're full of life and hope and truth and light and peace and all sorts of these good things. And Scripture guides us and forms us in that. And so today I want to start with uh, the first scripture that we'll look at this summer. And this scripture, uh, according to Version, the online Bible app, was the most popular scripture in the U.S. in 2014. Or in Canada in 2015, a year later. Um, but the scripture is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And this is what the scripture says. Therefore, and this is Paul writing... Says therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as living as as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to attest and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many have heard that passage before? Very common passage. Um, maybe you haven't. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a paraphrase of the entire Bible. Ridiculous work. Took him like 10 years. And sometimes I like his writing, sometimes I don't. But I love what Eugene Peterson does with Romans, this, uh, this uh, letter to the church in Rome. Here's how he translates this passage. He says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Love that. Love that idea. God brings the best out of us. So as we read this passage, a couple things to think about. The backstory. Uh, This was written by the Apostle Paul. And we talked a little bit about the Apostle Paul last week. Uh, This was a man who has kind of a A jaded past. Um, He was known for actually persecuting the church, uh, was responsible for the death of a lot of Christians, the imprisonment of a lot of Christians, has this moment where God gets a hold of his heart and decides to start following the way of Jesus. Goes through this time of training um, and then decides to give his life to the way of Jesus. And he goes around and he's starting all these communities, these, these churches throughout the Roman Empire, these churches that have the character, this group of people that have the character of Christ These small little church plants, maybe like Desert City. And he's going around and he's starting these communities. And he's inviting people into the way of Jesus. And then as he starts a community, he would move on to another town. And the way that they would stay connected is through letter writing. And these churches were made up of people. And so there was drama that would come out of these communities, believe it or not. And when Christians get together, there's drama and dysfunction, believe it or not. And so Paul would write these letters to these small churches and say, like, like here's, here's what, what God desires from your community. And it would be this instruction. And, and the instruction would all be grounded in a local context, but the people would read it and they'd be like, this is good stuff. This is how we should l- live life together. And so they started to understand that God was actually speaking through Paul to them. And these letters become scripture. These letters become this divinely inspired uh, teaching. And Paul writes to all these different churches. But this is the letter to the church in Rome. And what's interesting about this book is that, as Paul writes this letter, he hasn't been to Rome yet, at least not as a a follower of Jesus. And so he's not writing back to a community that he knows. He's writing forward to a community that he hopes to visit someday. But Paul's not sure if he's going to make it there or not. So when he writes the letter to the Romans, Paul puts in it his best stuff, And when you read Romans, what you find is that it's just rich in theology and ecclesiology and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Some would call the letter to Romans, Romans, uh, Paul's masterpiece, his magnum opus, and it's just rich with this theology. And so, when we read it, what we find is that every single detail about this letter is just precise and loaded uh, with with uh, with truth. And Paul spends the first 11 chapters in Romans painting this picture of God's love for people. And he starts to talk about the grace of God and the love of God. And he's very in touch with the human condition. And in the midst of our human condition, he talks about the story of God's love for us, that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus because of what God has done out of his great love for humanity. And the first 11 chapters are just loaded with this beautiful picture of God's love. And then in chapter 12, there's a little bit of a shift. As we get to chapter 12, 1 and 2, what Paul starts to say is because of God's great love for us, because of God's great mercy, it should change how we interact with the world around us. It should change our behavior. Belief changes behavior. And he, he turns this corner here in chapter 12, and he says because of God's great love and mercy for us, Offer our lives back to God as this living sacrifice. This belief shapes our behavior in this world. If God is full of love, mercy, hope, redemption, forgiveness, it shapes us to be a certain kind of people here and now. And he says, This is how that plays out. And he says, Two things. One is, Do not conform to the world around you. And we hear that statement, Don't conform. Um, You know, if we grew up with a bad experience with the church, this might have baggage. Like, what does that mean, don't conform? Does that mean, you know, we're supposed to be, like, retreat from society? Are we supposed to be these monastics that just pull away? Are we supposed to not interact with people around us? And other people are like, no way. You know, Jesus, he he was the ultimate rebel, man. He would just, like, been hanging out with sinners. And, 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 like, like, what does that mean to not conform to the world around us? What I think Paul's talking about here is that... uh, when it comes to discipleship, becoming more like Jesus, all of our experiences in life shape us and mold us to be a certain kind of person. And we can't live life in this culture without the cultural narrative shaping us to be a certain kind of person. And we live in a, a certain culture where there's a lot of freedom and there's, there's a lot of positive things that come out of that. But there's also a lot of negative things that come uh, from our freedom here our individualism. There's a lot of uh, unintended consequences to every culture. And when that culture, the unintended consequences that come from the cultural narrative are negative, and those are guiding your life, what it does is there's this kind of deterioration of your soul. There's certain things in this world that form us into something other than what God wants us to be. And Paul says, look out for that. Don't just conform to the pattern of the world around you. When I consider what that looks like in my life, when the world around me is shaping me, uh, it plays out in a couple different ways. Uh, The first is that I put my identity and worth in my image. And we live in a culture that's very image conscious, very image driven. And I get wrapped up in that. I'm very concerned about what people think. I'm very concerned of uh, how I'm perceived, uh, and so I get wrapped up in this image and identity being found in that image. And the negative consequence of that is a low self-esteem, and maybe you you've seen this. You know, usually we, maybe we see this like from other people, not us, right? But but those who are very image conscious. Uh, They're very, they almost seem like very vain to us. We can always spot it in other people a lot easier than we spot it in ourselves. But there's this tendency to say they have it all together and they're trying to look a certain way, but we all know there's something hollow inside of their soul. There's something unauthentic about that. And I know, like, I'm struggling with it the most when I can see it in other people. I find my identity wrapped up in my image. And that leads to something that deteriorates my soul. The second thing is I seek fulfillment and pleasure in what I can possess in this world. And this is kind of like there's a dangling carrot that's always out in front of me that I'm pursuing. Uh, pursuing for my own pleasure, for my own consumption, for my own fulfillment. And we chase after all sorts of things in this culture, trying to find fulfillment in them. And it's much like the dangling carrot, it's almost like the further out we reach, the more the carrot goes ahead of us, the more we follow it down this path. And what leads, uh, this path always leads to uh, what I would call superficial living, or a greediness. Everything's about our consumption. Everything's about what we can possess and control. Oftentimes what happens is the things that we want to possess and control end up possessing and controlling us, right? And that's really hard in this culture. And there's a lot of great positives to living in Uh, the the culture that we have, the pursuit of happiness. Those are all great things, but it comes with an unintended consequence. The pattern of this world is to get caught up in that. And it slowly withers our soul. And the third thing is, I believe the world revolves around me. And this is a constant in my life, that the world revolves around me. I'm the center of it. And I think this is also maybe a product of our culture. I'm probably a product of our culture. Everything revolves around me. So there's this deep sense of entitlement, how I live my life. I kind of feel like I just deserved things. Uh, I always want more credit for my accomplishments than than I should be afforded. And I always want to blame my failures on other people. I live with a sense of entitlement in how I interact with everyone around me. You see how I drive, right? I just think that I'm the one that owns the road, and everyone else should get out of the way. Like we, there's this this sense of uh, it's all about me, and uh, it's my world, and you're just living in it. And again, this is something that I can always spot in other people. It's so hard to spot this in myself, my own pride, my own desire uh, for entitlement. The Franciscan Richard Rohr has this statement that really caught my attention. He says, Jesus tells us to love people and use things, but in our culture we love things and use people. And I think that's pretty true. The pattern of this world, what can you get out of it? We use people for our own agendas, for our own plans. And Not all of these things are, are bad in itself, but there's these unintended consequences that come when we're conformed to the pattern of this world. For me, when, the, when I conform to the world around me, I lean into these destructive tendencies disguised as true life. It leads to isolation, tension, strife, endless pursuit, discontent, depression, assuming the worst in others. When I'm conformed to the pattern of the world, uh, my soul deteriorates. And Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform, but be transformed. And it's interesting, this is, in Greek, this is the metamorphosis. This is, this is not that you're, you're changing your identity, but your identity is being transformed into something new. Conformed has to do with kind of the outer shell that's being impacted by the world around you. Transformed has to do with something inside of your heart He says, just let it start in your mind. Something inwardly is being transformed to be what God has desired it in life. The way of Jesus is counterformation to the destructive tendencies of the world around us. And to follow Jesus is to follow this way of counterformation. Jesus talks about how, uh, how this plays out. Paul says, to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. This has caught up this the sacrificial system, this idea that something has to die. Paul takes it further, and he says to be a living sacrifice, a continual sacrifice. So how you live a life is a certain kind of death that leads to true life. You put to death ego, put to death selfish ambition, to death to consumption, death to sin. To find true life from that. In John 12, 24, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This way of Jesus, we put to death certain things in our life so that we can experience true life. What Paul's essentially saying here is that God loves you so much that he's willing to die for you. Are you willing to live your life for him in return? What happens is, in this culture, we approach every situation and every experience the way that the world tells us to approach every experience is asking the question, what's in it for me? So we come to an experience and we say, what can I get out of this? What's in it for me? What Paul's talking about is a mindset that says, we come to every experience and we say, in what way can I contribute here? In what way can I give of myself to make this a better place? And it's a different thinking than the way that the culture designs us to think. It's selflessness. It's living as a sacrifice, selfless living. And what if we, as Desert City, followers of Jesus, people who are a part of the way approach every situation with this idea? Not what can I get out of this, but what can I contribute? How can I offer myself as a living sacrifice to the world around me? It plays out in a lot of different ways. Tim's going to come back up and, and close us in a time of reflection and worship. And we talk about worship as something we do here on Sunday morning. But worship, as Paul's talking about it here, is an actual lifestyle. It's the way we approach every relationship and situation. Offering ourselves the way God has offered himself to us. And as Tim comes back up, I wanted to to close with, again, Eugene Peterson's words about Romans chapter 12. And when it comes to, to your life, when it comes to living, being a living sacrifice, offering your life of worship. Uh, Romans 12 has a, a set of instructions for us. And I wanted to reflect on this before we move to communion, because I think that it's very much the way of Jesus. The words are on the screen behind me, but it says this. In this way, we are like various parts of a human body, each part, and he's talking about the body of Christ. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of His body. But as a chopped-off finger or a cut-off toe, we wouldn't amount to mut. Wouldn't amount to much, would we? So, since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body. Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help, don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. to keep a smile on your face. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the Master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody if you got it in you, right? Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, give him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you, but get the best of evil by doing good. And these are words to live by. And we close each service with communion. Communion is this symbolic act of what God has done here. It's a symbolic reminder of God's love for us. Communion, uh, in communion there's bread and juice. The bread represents the body of Christ, which we believe is God's body that came down here on earth and walked among us. And it was this revelation of what God's character is like. We believe that this body was broken open on the cross. The juice represents the blood of Christ that was poured out on the cross. We believe that the breaking open of this bread and the pouring out of this blood washes away all of our brokenness, all of our selfishness, all of the ways that we get things wrong. And we take communion and remembrance of that sacred act But then we also proclaim what God has done. And we use this language of the body of Christ, this group of people who continue to break themselves open and pour themselves out for the good of others. We're life-giving. And when we put to death the things in our life that are selfish, we bring life to others. And today as we move to communion, we remember who God is and what he's done and we proclaim this message. We participate in the Eucharist as a living sacrifice. This is the way of Jesus. These are what these words are telling us to do. So let's spend some time praying, reflecting. When you're ready, move to the communion table. Take, partake. Remember, proclaim. Offer your life as a living sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for these words from the Apostle Paul. Lord, we're reminded that Paul's has such a jaded past. Lord, that he has just done terrible things. But in your mercy, you gave him new life. You transformed his mind. And he uses his life to do good. Lord, that we're a part of the same story, the same narrative, that you take our lives, Lord, and you transform them into a gift to others. And today, as we consider these words, this charge from Paul, to not just conform to the world around us, but to be transformed by the newing of our mind, to offer our lives as living sacrifices. Lord, we just pray that you would stir something in our hearts, we'd be reminded that you died for us. We should live for you in everything that we do. So today, Lord, I just pray for inspiration for this community. Lord, that you would call us, that you would empower us with your spirit, that you would equip us for every good work, individually and corporately, Lord, that your presence would be here now. We give you this time.